Hello, and welcome to Playtime. <clears throat> My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a counselor who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy from a child-centered perspective. Today on the podcast, I'm going to chat about something that I'm personally trying to work out a little bit for myself, and that is the value of nonsense in play. There's a thing that I've noticed in children when, say, we've been doing play therapy for a little bit, and they've got a scenario that they've been playing out, and that scenario has been consistent but also evolving, and as it's adding more life and complexity and emotion and ultimately gravity as it moves along. And by gravity, I mean it can sometimes feel that more and more is at stake the more a scenario is being played and that something is being worked through in contrast to play that feels, say, more mechanical, like we're in a situation where we just make each other food back and forth and back and forth. And I do believe that there is value in that back and forth, back and forth making food, but there can be a static nature to that that is more relational and like we're feeling this whole play thing out. And that's in contrast to a scenario where maybe there's characters who have been going through ups and downs, they're on a journey, they're connected to people, they fall out with those people, they're in a struggle against some other people or forces. They're trying to figure something out, perhaps it's more of a mystery scenario. And something that I've found that I'm having a difficult time naming, besides calling it nonsense, but nonsense doesn't sound quite right, is that at points in scenarios that are being played out, whether it's at the end of a scenario or it's where something is being like worked through intensely, that play can stop making sense. Characters can start moving back and forth in time. People arise from the dead. People change shapes and forms. Maybe relationships that used to exist in the play no longer exist. The setting has changed. The characters might even be confused and not quite know what's going on. If you've listened to past podcasts, we did a podcast on here called What is Play? And we defined play as having a set of rules and roles that exist outside of life, a goal that exists outside of life, and all those things exist inside of the play space. And outside of the play space, they mean nothing because play is a serious business. And that's what's captivated me about these moments in playing someone where the play no longer makes sense. Some examples of this would be like, and I'm not trying to draw directly from child experiences because I don't think that that's respectful or, uh, you know, legal. But say a character is changing form some, several times or they were someone and now we've discovered that they're someone else or they thought that this certain thing was going on and now it's not going on and everything's kind of just all confused and scattered and in a mess and this mess is being articulated by the client they are still naming the rules and roles but they're shifting quickly and i hope that that's a relatable experience and i hope that i'm describing that as best as i can I take those shifts very seriously, and I see them as 
as covering new ground. In a totally unrelated subject that I will relate soon, in Jungian dream stuff, which would be under the belief that your your dreams have messages for you, whether it's about yourself or your past or your future and where you're going, about your relationships to other people or to the beyond. Dreams are very important in Jungian psychology. And I was reading, and I wish I could remember where, and if I do remember where, I'll put it in the, you know, the description of the episode, about how when someone has a dream... And if that dream does, doesn't make any sense to them, like some dreams they could look at, and especially in consultation with someone else, because it's very hard to interpret your own dreams on your own. But in consultation with someone else, you can look at some dreams and say, ah, I know what's happening. I know what the message is. I can feel it inside of myself, what this dream means to me, wherever it is that we believe dreams come from. But that there's something in this dream that I can take and I have a new understanding of my experience or I'm able to embody myself in a deeper way. I just have a sense of what's going on with me or of what I need to do. And there are other dreams, and Jungian psychology speaks to this, that don't make sense and are quite mysterious and don't have a meaning that is very accessible. And that's not because the person might not be you know, trained and attuned and in connection with someone who can help them with their dreams. They could have all of those things, but the dream may just be elusive, and it's not fully formed in terms of having a narrative or a message that can be passed on. And in Jungian psychology, that can be framed as the person entering a new space in their unconscious, of exploring a new aspect of themselves or of life that they haven't touched on before, and therefore don't have the kind of relationship with this new aspect of themselves or of life yet to know themselves in relationship to it, and to have a sense of what the heck this thing is that they're grappling with. Play is similar. In the previous podcast, we talked some about how play is like dreams. It, they both come from the unconscious. They both have sources that are deep inside of our psyche. They both involve imaginary scenarios where not anything is possible, but more or less anything is possible, except that in play there are, say, rules and rules that, definitely, that regulate things. But if the play is coming from one person which is what is happening inside of our play therapy sessions. It has the ability to shift and evolve just based on where the child is at and where they're at with themselves and with the world and where they're at with us. And so if I've been playing a scenario with a child for a significant length of time, and we've been doing this thing for a while, and things start to get a little strange, it doesn't follow the same consistent pattern. Let's say we've been playing out the same thing for like six sessions, and on session seven, suddenly things get to be a little bit different. It turns out some people are wearing masks. Maybe there's a moment where the client says, that didn't happen, let's rewind and go back to this other spot. Maybe we travel in time. Maybe it turns out that we discover something about one of the characters that we hadn't known before. Perhaps someone new comes in and we don't know who this person is yet. Maybe the whole thing is just kind of 
blown up and devolves and becomes something else that's similar to what we were playing, but a little bit different. Maybe the play simply is entering this unknown spot and then kind of rattles around and doesn't can't continue and something new starts. Whatever that is, there's an interesting spot there. And if we believe that what's been happening the entire time that we're in session is that the client comes in and they imprint themselves onto their time with us to the ability that they can, to the ability that they're comfortable, it's certainly a vulnerable thing to be able to play with someone and to enter into that space with someone. You have to feel safe and secure and not judged and comfortable with yourself. Many clients we see have preoccupations with things because of the pain that they've experienced or their life circumstances or simply the struggles involved in the systems that they're in and their way they're used to interacting inside of those systems. And they can come in and be you know, obsessed with having control or power. There might be enough anger in there that anger is the dominant force in the play all the time. There might be enough, say shyness and timidness in there that their play with us is reserved and it doesn't feel like all of them is there we can feel that they're constricted and in those kinds of situations i don't think that a place with that kind of child will be reached necessarily until they're more comfortable until they've worked through some things and understand themselves in relationship to that anger or just simply move through those aspects of those their experience and have those aspects witnessed so that they can be in the room more fully and more dynamically. But for those children who are comfortable and assertive and vulnerable enough, whether they would name that or not, to begin to play out more complex scenarios that involve a lot of moving pieces and parts, that can at times lead to the child being in a place where they might not even have a very clear sense of what's going on. Things have been easy up until that point. You're this person, I'm that person, we're moving through, sometimes we're switching roles, sometimes we're doing all kinds of different things, but we're maintaining these relationships that are more or less static. And then when those relationships start to shift or we start moving in time and space and whatever, the child, in my view, is entering a new space. And they're finding their footing in relationship to that new space. I think that knowledge for clinicians is important. If you are running a child-centered play therapy session, you are probably doing some amount of tracking. And tracking, for those who don't know, but you probably know if you're listening, is naming what's happening for the client as it's happening. It's like, ah, this person just moved over there. Ah, you set that block right up against the edge of the table. Like, mmm, there's a pattern with these blocks that you're making. Whatever it is... You're just tracking what's going on. But in those moments of confusion, where things are shifting, where dynamics are changing, if the client's footing has been sure in the play that's going on, and by sure I mean that they've been flowing through it and it's been consistent, and we can probably guess, if we were asked to guess, what's happening from one moment to the next, and what those relationships are going to be from one moment to the next. And when that starts to change, when the client is moving through those shifts, I can feel the desire to want to back off a little bit. It's one thing to be tracking and summarizing inside of a play session to call awareness to something that continues to be played out, dynamics that are known. I think that the client can hear that, can assimilate that, 
can sink more deeply into that and then develop a deeper awareness of their relationship to these different things that they're playing out. But when things are unknown, when things are moving quickly inside of this unknown space, it's almost like asking someone to process through a dream that they're just not at a spot where they can understand that dream yet. They might need to have that dream a few more times if they're doing dream work and to marinate in it and to think about it and just to live their lives in order to get back to that, get back to that knowledge of what's happening inside of them. They've come someplace new and new spaces take time to work through and take time for us to understand ourselves in relationship to. When we're discovering a new part of ourself, it's unknown at first. If a child is playing out a new aspect of a dynamic of a play scene, that's different. And they may feel the need to, like they might start doing something and then decide that they have to stop. I use the rewind example because that's happened a few times with kids I've worked in. We'll take, okay, we're going down this road. It's like, nah, that doesn't feel right. Gotta pull it back. Or like, ah, I just had this person die. Nope, they're back to life. And they're moving inside of their play in these kinds of situations in different sorts of directions. They're trying to get some footing and they're confident enough and assertive enough to keep going, to keep being invested in this play. It's very different than, say, a child who's playing and then just says, I'm done. And it's like they're not stimulated at that point. They're not interested. They could just be generally done with that particular play theme. And then we'll do something else with them. But for this child who is like, keeps needing to change or shift what's happening in a play space, they need the space to be allowed to do that. And I think us, as play therapists being aware that that's what's happening, being aware that they're finding their footing, knowing when they have their feet on solid ground inside of the play, and when things are moving a little bit inside of them and they're discovering their relationship to what's happening in the room, those are two different spaces. And I don't know if there's any... I mean, as you can probably tell if you've been listening to this for a little bit, I'm not too technique-oriented. I mean, it's good to know all the basic techniques. There's plenty of great play therapy books I like Jody Mullins, the Child Center Play Therapy Workbook, quite a bit. Gary Landritz, The Art of the Relationship, is great. That will help you talk like a play therapist and all of that sort of thing. Because there's not necessarily a different technique to do in this situation. But having awareness of what's going on, and respecting what's going on, and being able to witness what is happening inside of your playroom accurately is important and is valuable and I think changes even just energetically, even just in the way that you are connecting to the child inside of your room. If you are connected to what is actually happening with them, I believe there's healing benefit to that. And that it does maybe change the way that you're talking, maybe it changes the way you're interacting, and helps us hold them in a non-judgmental way throughout the process rather than simply just giving space for them to have their process we're giving space for them to have their process intentionally and in connection with what is happening for them i have a fear that this podcast doesn't make as much sense as some of the other podcasts did but it is about nonsense at the end of the day about when things don't seem clear the chaos 
that is swimming inside of a play situation. And for something to take form, for something new to take form, it often has to feel formless at first. For structure and clarity to arise, there often has to be chaos and disorder. And so if there was anything to get out of this particular podcast, it would just be that if you are seeing some chaos and disorder in your playroom, if you just had a play session and you're not really sure what happened in terms of narrative of the session, say that session did have a play scenario involved and the narrative was all over the map, or is like, I thought we were going to continue playing out this scenario, but this was really scattered. And maybe that can feel not productive. Maybe that can feel like, ah, we're not really hitting on anything, or we were hitting on something and now we're not. It felt like we were on the right track and now we're lost. But that would be judgment of what's happening inside of the playroom in contrast to, okay, we were inside the structured thing that we were playing out, but we're entering into something new and mysterious and unknown. We're having new elements inside of this that weren't present before. We could stay in that same structured play space the whole time, but that would just be flat and boring and not stimulating. We have to move to new spaces, and when we do, it's going to be a little chaotic at first. Sometimes. I mean, I can think of kids off the top of my head who move between play theme to play theme fluidly and... Clearly, and without a lot of that hesitation. And it's important not to judge that too. I think it can be easy, say, when we hear something. Like if you were listening to this podcast and you were like, oh, okay, so nonsense and chaos and disorder does have value. That's how order comes. And then you're like, ah, I'm not seeing disorder with client X or client Y, or a number of clients, and I never have, does that mean that that's something that we should get to? And it's like, no, it's not a goal. We're not ever trying to get anybody anywhere. Besides closer to themselves. But people move closer to themselves when they're ready, and when they have the space. So disorder is not a goal to be shot for, just like anything in play therapy. We can say that some kinds of play are more, you know helpful, healthy, whatever, than other kinds of play. And we certainly are looking for certain indicators in a child's play. Is it becoming more dynamic? Is it becoming more emotional? Is it becoming more cooperative and blah, 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 to know whether or not they're ready for discharge? But of course, all those goals have to be out of our mind when we're conducting a play session. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Hopefully that journey through the value of nonsense made some sense um as always please rate review subscribe all that good stuff it helps the podcast get more reach um also got a patreon page and every little bit helps to keep this podcast rolling and see you next time